two years, two years, two, two weeks away from the end of the year, 2023. It's December 15th. Jordan, it's our end of the year episode. I'm, I'm pretty How good. How you doing, buddy? Uh, it's Friday, and we we are officially closed, the company, between now and New Year's. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So Really? What does that so, mean to be closed? Yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what so that means. For, to close, for to close us, business. what it means is uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday is super intense. Development, onboarding merchants, launching, keeping track. There's just a lot of intensity required around uh, DevOps, development. Then we go into code freeze and we come out of code freeze. We you know throw more stuff in. We deploy it. And, and this is like the reward that we have figured out makes mm-hmm. sense for us in this e-commerce context because between now and the end of the year, no, no one's talking to us. No one's answering emails. Sure. So it feels like a really, really good opportunity to give an extended break in, in a startup environment that's generally pretty intense. Yeah. I, I mean like, okay, so how, how do you actually like – what happens with like customer support and who's at, yeah, we, who's yeah who's kind of covering the yeah the, so there's just the lights on. Uh, some people are able to fully unplug and some people are not right so our DevOps engineers mm-hmm. uh, customer success and support that that type of thing you have to keep an eye and you take turns so you keep coverage so that you do get a break yeah a little yep. bit lighter yeah. load and then next week yeah. you know it's off and there aren't any standing meetings. But I have a few calls next week and some of the people on the team are like, okay, like let's just touch base next week because it makes sense to, it's just like an unplugging. And then the week after that is totally like, you know, go away, go hang with your families type of thing. Um, Yeah. So I am, this is like the last thing I'm doing this week and then I'm off until January. I am going to redo the website. Oh, so you're, well, you're not breaking. It feels very different. <laughs> My desk is a hot mess. I have a an embarrassing uh-huh. stack of of mail. I'm going to show it to Brian. Right. This is like the immediate stuff uh-huh. that needs to be addressed. That's on my desk. Nice. I'm not talking about stuff. All the paper mail that comes into my life, I literally, like, it stays on the desk yeah. and I don't open it for sometimes it's, like it's, it's, a month or two. Yeah, I just, I just don't I even like want to think about it. Dental bill for like one hundred and fourteen dollars. I'm like, you're on, you're ninety days oh late. God, I'm like, sorry guys, I'm not, I'm not a jerk. I just, I just don't care, and I haven't opened it. My bad. My philosophy is like, all right, you, you can send me a letter, but you're, you'll probably need to send me like multiple emails and text messages and calls to get my attention. Yes, to actually, which care is about frustrating it. for everyone yeah. involved. And and it's like if it's that important, that's what they'll yes. do, and that's fine. It's, with it's it. terrible. <laughs> it's I terrible. <laughs> So I'm looking forward to catching up on a lot of that stuff and some personal stuff. And I'm texting some friends in town to say, hey, let's go to lunch next week. Let's. So I'm starting to turn the corner toward family, fun, relaxing, less stress. Yes, but we have. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that, yeah, I, I want to talk about an interesting development on the business front. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of similar idea. Um uh, I so the week of the holidays, you know, Christmas into New Year's. In between those, we're going away for three days. Got an Airbnb in Northern Vermont, so that that will be pretty much an off week with the family, doing some skiing. Um, but yeah, this week, like we are days away from finally pushing out Clarity Flow Commerce. It's it's like we've built it all. It's in the final testing now. Um, today's Friday, so we're not going to deploy it today. We're going to deploy it on either Monday or Tuesday of next week. And uh, I need to, now I need to do like the grind of, of launching this. And it's oh, a yeah. huge feature to launch. So I've got to write a ton of documentation. I got to write a big email announcement. I got to record multiple product videos for this thing. It's going to be a grind, but I got to get it out before the holidays. It's it's already like three months past when I wanted it to ship. It, it's it's just been such a beast to to build. There's so many little facets to it you're you're close um i mean it's done it's in the final testing we're we're just kind of polishing it up and and then i it's now it's on it's almost on me to just do the launch stuff um and you know to the other thing in my work life here is 
as, as I've been talking about over the last couple of months and like transitioning into 2024 with like changing uh, focus in, in my business and getting into this, like building this media brand, instrumental products, still very much coming together. And the way that I mentally think about it, this isn't exactly how it works, but I actually kind of think about it like I'm changing jobs. Like I'm like I'm leaving one company and, and joining another company in a way. And but are you all looking at it as like in January um, I start my new job? Yeah, I mean, I was I, I've been hoping that that date would be in December, but I think it's probably going to be after that trip. But it, and and literally, like it's it, it's going to mean like starting the weekly content production cycle of video recording and production and writing newsletters and and the audience game, you know, like really starting that up. And and I've been. I, I've redone my whole studio, been, been doing all this work with, with equipment and testing shots and things like that. Um, it's been fun to put it all together and test it out. And I'm learning a ton about production and content strategy and relearning a lot of stuff. And um, But I haven't been able to put it into action yet because I've been so busy on Clarity Flow and getting this final commerce feature out the door. So once that's finished... Um, there's some like infrastructure projects that my team is going to be working on, but like basically like my big focus on clarity flow is, um, done for a while. And then it goes into that more of a side business mode. And I start to, uh, really turn my attention to, to building this audience game. So that's, that's where my, okay. uh, eyesight is, is pointed okay, towards. Cool. The next I, I have weeks. something similar yeah. in that. I, I look at this rest and then I look at January as like. A sprint six months between now between yeah. january and june that's our selling season that's when merchants are open to new ideas they're looking at new things they're exploring and we have a bunch of meetings set up in january that it, at least it's feels good to have it confirmed that the interest and demand is there but people are looking at january in a similar way that i am and they're saying all right i'll get to that in january right now i'm just going to finish what i need to finish i'm not going to start anything new yeah. Mm -hmm. What was that thing? So you, you just we, had? I'm, I'm sure I will be talking about this a lot more. I'm going to be, uh, uh, quiet about it. I'm not going to give details for at least another month or so is, is my assumption because I don't, I don't want to telegraph anything. Um, but we had like a, we had like a product breakthrough, uh, that gives us the ability to, to sell our product a little differently. Uh, and the biggest thing that it changes is the nature of our onboarding and our, our onboarding, uh, plays a huge role in how we sell the product and how people buy the product. And it, if you think about our pitch right now, it requires a significant amount of demand to be generated during the interaction with the prospect, because you, you kind of have to bring the demand high enough up that they are able to get over the hurdles of implementation and maybe changing your payment processor and then your fraud protection and then your loyalty program and your all these integrations that are pointed at checkout and you get to talk to your finance team. There's, there's a lot to get through and you need to build up enough momentum in the sales process that'll break through all those potential barriers. And we are, mm -hmm. um, we had a breakthrough around our ability to onboard much more easily and that changes the nature of how the pitch works. Right now the pitch is a promise of ROI and then you have to get through a lot of these things to get to the ROI. And we have figured out a way to get yeah, the ROI I all the way up front with, with far less work in implementation and that kind of changes the nature of how we can go to market. Interesting. I So I know nothing about what you're talking about here. Um, but my mind goes to it's some form of, I don't know if you want me to guess it, but, but like it, it's some form of like hosted version so that like they don't need to kind of build it into their own site yet, but they could still at least test it or run some some portion of their traffic so through you first. It's not exactly that, like but that. it's in that direction, right? Where, where, where it does yeah. not require mm -hmm. them to have a big lift. If you look, I think it's actually a, a good analogy mm -hmm. in this case to look at a competitor. If you look at our competitor, uh, Bolt, uh, who just announced another round of layoffs today, so there's there's, there's pain. Oh man! Um, what they did is they first offered a checkout, 
And then they started to offer a, a, a lighter weight version of their uh, product by having the ability to add a uh, their vault of, of shoppers to your existing checkout. So that's how they tried to go, well, maybe it's easier to sell something that requires a, a lower lift. So we have never had mm -hmm. something like that in our repertoire. And all of a sudden we do. And then, you know, it's just kind of happened. I, I, I sent a tweet the other day, uh, never underestimate the combination of stupid questions with smart engineering and i think it's, it's obvious to everyone who knows us and listens to this podcast that i'm the stupid questions <laughs> i'm i'm not the smart engineering that's rock uh, <laughs> but sometimes that combination of of a, of a technically ignorant person coming at it from the customer point of view combined with an engineer uh it's an interesting dynamic that rock and i've had over time where i come to him and i say well what why can't we just do x and he comes back with, well, here's why mm -hmm. we can't do X, you idiot, because that's not how it works. But sometimes that leads. It's, yes. it's always worth asking the question, be like, well, really, yes. why? You know, like, and, and what, what if, what if that was a requirement? Like, ju just to think about it, like, it's like, what if that right. were Or what if reality? this assumption yeah. just went away? Or what would be different about yep. things if we assume something totally different than what is true currently? Yeah, I love so so I we kind of started sharing with the go to market team, and everyone's just buzzing. Everyone's just like, "Oh my god!" Now I I'm going away, and I cannot wait to come back in January armed with this new thing. Mm -hmm. So it feels like we're mm -hmm. it's a bit of a coincidence, but we are we are going off on our break with a lot of excitement. Yep. Yep. Love All right, man. You, you went out on Twitter and asked for some suggestions on what to talk about. I did, and then I and then I opened up a text doc and I just started jotting down some deep questions for okay. us to answer. <laughs> you know, this is that end of the year episode where we usually kind of talk about like the our looking back on twenty twenty three and setting our twenty twenty four goals. I don't know. I I, I think we're bored of that stuff. So let's just talk bigger picture and. I'm thinking more about like career level, you know, career time span. Let's look back. Right. Let's look ahead. Oh and I, I got like what, like, like four life or five stuff. questions here. Oh yeah. Well, like, yeah. yeah. All right. First question. What do we see as our most significant career milestones to date? And we can, we can define that however we want. So what do you got? Okay. I got, I have two major milestones. Yeah. The I got two first well. major milestone was leaving... Uh, employment. Okay. I, I I started off in finance, in investment banking, and left. And that was step one in going in the direction that I wanted, you know, life and career to go. Yeah, I guess that's a that's one for me too. But I I wasn't really counting that one. Yeah, but. I mean, if it's it's a long time yeah. ago. But I think yeah. that's kind of you know, yeah, I think that's more significant than the individual accomplishments and revenue levels and whatever else, mm -hmm. because it just puts you into, it's just a very I, different life. I think, I, I mean, you know, you and I started in very different industries, you in the finance industry. And I, I started my career, actually, I started in the music recording industry first, and then switched into web design, working for a web agency in New York City. But I think what we both have in common with that is... Um, I th correct me if I'm wrong, but like you went into the finance industry, like not expecting to be an entrepreneur, right? Or maybe you were at some point in, later, but like, I, like I was not expecting to, uh, I wasn't thinking like, I'm going to be here for a couple of years and then I'm going to leave as soon as possible to start a business. Like it, it sort of occurred to me a little bit later. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and what I wanted out of the finance industry was to build, a. Uh, a base, a nest egg, a little Got something it. to to go off, and and I didn't have the patience. I hated it so much. I couldn't wait the three, four, five years. I like. Oh, okay. It was. It was. I thought I could handle the trade off. I knew the trade off was you give us basically all of your waking hours, and yeah. we will give you a, a base of money to work from. And I, think I thought when I was I that age, I, 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 I couldn't do it. I just wasn't thinking that 
long term at all. I was just like, this is a career that I'm interested in, web web design. And I got uh, I started working in that in- industry. And it wasn't until I was in that job that it started to even occur to me that I could go out and do this on my own as a freelance consultant. And then it wasn't even until then, like once I was out on my own, that it even occurred to me that I can do like digital products on the oh, internet. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and it's weird, but anyway. So yeah, that that's for me too, like that. And I, I often look back on that time because I left in January of 2008. And um, I really, I, I constantly talk about this, but like if I had waited a year or less than a year later, the, the, the economic crash would have happened and I would have held on to that job for dear life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I ever would have left after that. Yeah, I mean, with, looking back, I I, I kind of think I made a mistake. I, I should have had more patience. It would have made a lot of things a lot easier to effectively start off my entrepreneurial career with hundreds of thousands of dollars saved up, which I could have done if I just stuck around yeah. for a few years. I don't, yeah, it's, you it's might, yeah. you might feel that way. I, I feel like that's like er, that early nest egg is not as valuable as the experience, the early experience of an entrepreneur in my experience. You know? Yeah. I mean, the, the mistake I made was when I left, I should have left to go get more entrepreneurial experience. Mm. I should have left to go work for a small company. A small, yeah. Yes. And see what it was like. I didn't, I left to go work with my, with my family business. Yeah. And I knew yep. that business. I had worked in that business in high school and we grew it and we made money, but it did not create a network of like-minded, ambitious people in an industry that I was interested in that then sets the stage for partnerships and networking and unfair advantages and opportunities that you come across that ideally I should have done in, in my 20s. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and for me, that leads to the second most important milestone is then leaving the family business and mm-hmm. saying, okay, let, let me, let me, let me go beyond the e-myth immigrant entrepreneur mindset of we do the work and we hesitate to hire people to do the work for us because that limitation is like, that's the curse. Mm-hmm. The curse of American entrepreneurship is to get stuck into a scenario where you love making flower arrangements. So you start a company that makes flower arrangements and then you create a job for yourself. And there is nothing wrong with that. But if you don't realize that you're getting into it and that's not actually what you want, then you can get stuck. Yep. For sure. Yes. So that for me, the single most important accomplishment or milestone of all was leaving and then you know, floating in space and then all the risk that goes with it and all the opportunity that goes with it. Yeah, for sure. I think my two other, my, my two big milestones, like after I was out on my own as, a, as an entrepreneur, the first one I wrote down was actually selling Restaurant Engine, um, which was the first time I sold and exited uh, a business. Um, and it was not the largest exit, like not even close. I had other other ones af- that came after that. Um that were larger in terms of exits. But the first one, that first one, which happened for me in 2015 was the most significant because it, it at the time, like it was like a low six figure exit at the time. That was like the biggest win of my career. Um, but it was the biggest learning experience of, of seeing like, Hey, I bootstrapped and built this mm-hmm. and someone else bought it. And the whole process of selling was was a was a learning process, but also just seeing what was actually valuable that I managed to build that someone else found value in, because that influenced every single thing that I worked on from that point forward. And like I, it, it completely changed the way that I even think about starting and building and operating things. Because everything after that, like, because there, there were a lot of like messy things in Restaurant Engine, yeah, that I that. And, and I still managed to be able to sell it. Um, but everything after that was like, you know, you can look at like the, the little things, like how you keep the books and things like that. But, but I, it's more, what I'm talking about more is like, how am I actually assembling something of value here? You know, like, cause later on I, I went on to obviously build audience ops and sell that. And I built a, 
you know, process kit I sold that was a little SaaS. And then actually my productized course and community, that that entity, that website and course and everything, I, I also sold that business to someone else um, for a, 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 a little exit. And so like even now when I start to plan out this thing, instrumental products, like, yes, it's going to be like me on camera and, and a lot of content and not something that I'm looking to build and sell very quickly. It's more of a longer term thing, but I'm still thinking about it like, all right, what does the operation look like? What's the brand look like? How does this get eventually have a pathway to a valuable asset, you know? Um, so yeah, as, that's, yeah. As we're, as we're talking about this, the, an, another milestone came to mind. It was more of a mental milestone for me. And at some point, I think a lot of us, uh, with, with a, uh, it depends on your nature, but I know I can speak for myself that I operate with a decent amount of guilt and comparing myself to others and envy and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And at some point during the Carduck experience, I was able to more objectively look around and finally say, hey, there are 20 people working for this company. They love their jobs. This thing's making millions of dollars. I think I can ease up on the self-criticism. Mm-hmm. I think I, I maybe maybe stop comparing, stop feeling guilty that you're not the most disciplined and organized. Like whatever you will ha- whatever your mix of stuff is, some of it you're good enough at that you've created this thing, and you should stop feeling guilty for the stuff that is your shortcomings. And that has brought an amazing amount of peace over the last few years of just just shedding the weight of the guilt and comparison and that yeah. that's like poison. I, I am not proud of the fact that it required objective proof. It required mm-hmm. millions of dollars a, in re- the revenue. Only convinced, yeah. The only thing <laughs> that know. actually convinced me was not myself it, having the wisdom. It was this objective, hey, idiot, just look at the goddamn financials and, and you stop. Know, I feel this, this is actually going to get into the second question, which is more okay. about our challenges, but um, it's it, it, it's weird. I, I sort of have the same sort of experience, but a little bit backwards. I was, okay. I, I, th- I think I had a, a higher confidence level a few years back than I do even now um, in, in the more recent years, because I, I think I put a lot more pressure on myself as I get older and more of that comparison to peers mm-hmm. and things like that as, as we get get further along. Just real quick to wrap up the first one, like the other one, the other big one for me was, was learning full stack web development. Um, I started my career as a front end designer, but like in 2018, I spent that year, like the, the decision to invest that year for myself to go from just designer and marketer bootstrapper person to full stack designer and developer to be able to build anything. Um, that was, such a massive um, milestone for me. Um, I'm still, I'm always learning on, on the technical side, but the I, I've built multiple software products since then. And it, it has just completely opened up my world of not, A, I absolutely love it. Like I love the craft of designing and developing user experiences and interfaces. Um, like I really love being in it. On, on all levels, the, from the design, the architecture, the customers, all of it. But it also opened up my entire world view of business in a, in a way. Because before that, I, I, I even having sold a couple of businesses and the productized services and stuff, I still had the service mindset mm-hmm. of um, how do we help clients? What can we do for them? And becoming a product person opens your eyes to like how to – what makes this a product, mm-hmm. you know, not a service? Yeah, the, the, that, that's the a big leverage, one for me. The leverage in, inherent in a uh, scalable product to be sold as opposed to very incremental uh, yep. services. All right, next question. What were our most challenging times to date or phases or whatever you might want to point to? Um, I'll, I'll kick that off real quick. So like... <laughs> It's not pretty. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, oh. I'll, I'll try to 
breeze through. I've got two here. One was just the year in 2013, a while back now. I, I just remember um, that was a, I was working on Restaurant Engine. It was probably a year or two away from when I sold it. And I was, I, I was working on multiple things and <clears throat> I was involved in multiple venture, uh, v- ventures. Some things were starting to find a little bit of success. This was before I started the productized course before I started audience ops and all that. But I was just too, it, it, it was too much going on and not enough income, like struggling financially, having this little SaaS business and doing freelance work and doing this partnership over here and writing this ebook over there and doing this and that. And I, but I, looking back on it, I think the big stress of it was like my lack of experience. Like I was involved in a lot of things that, that ultimately I was not really even enjoying and, and not getting the, the rewards. That was one. Um, but then things really improved on all that in the 2015 to 2021 phase when I had audience ops and productized going. And then the more recent years, like the last three to four years, it, it's, it's weird because it, in some ways these are some of my favorite years. Like I said, like I love working on software and I love how how much uh, further along my skill set has become in both product and just entrepreneurship but at the same time I have so much more pressure I that I probably just put on myself that it, that it makes it um some right now in the last couple of years some of the most difficult and challenging um years but at at, at the same time it's like that's what we do we you know it, we make it harder cuz that's that's what keeps it interesting right I don't know. Yeah, that's my excuse anyway. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, I hear you. What, what, what the the challenge is that the uh, the score is is very objective. It's very unemotional, and the only way we know how to keep score is money. Yes, and so there is a disconnect between the satisfaction we find and the interest we find in our work, and the passion involved and the creativity and the, and the rewards outside of money, they are not directly connected to just straight up dollar bills and a, a number in an account. Yes. So that that is a weird, weird relationship and everyone brings their own baggage into it. Yep. Um, and that's 100%. just that that's just the reality of it because it turn it turns some people see it as a score and a competition and uh who has more and where they stand and uh everyone goes through a filter of what it means to them what money means to them if yeah. it's material if it's status if it's being more attractive to the opposite sex if it is feeling you know mightier than you know your peers or whatever that crazy mix is so everyone kind of suffers through this in their own way yeah yeah for for sure definitely the case for me it's less it's much less about it's not at all really about like competition with other people although there's definitely a lot of like comparing myself to to others and you know just flat out jealousy and all that like yeah let's be honest but the um but the for me, it is sort of a, a game and a score where I'm playing against myself, um, and that's te- that. That's how I tend to enjoy games and sports is like trying to beat my own score type right, of thing. Right. Right. Um, and um, and that's how I see it in, in business for sure. Like I want to beat my, you know, I, whatever next win I get, it, I, I want it to be a bigger win than my last one. Um, yeah. And, um, and and you know, there's there's obviously like. Yeah, we want to live comfortably here with my family and do do nice things, and then and then the other driver, of course, is freedom. Like I, I feel like I, where where I feel like, uh, at 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 this stage in my career, I I would have liked to achieve a level of freedom that I haven't yet achieved. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I and a lot of friends have, um, it, where it's like okay month to month year to year needs are fully met financially like don't even have to think about it now we're just building now now we've got like total freedom to just keep building bigger and bigger without even having to think about like what's happening this year 
in our finances, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you have a sense of what you want out of that though? I, I, I mean, have... we are much more comfortable than we were like 10 years ago, but like, right. Um, but like there, there's still a sense of like, I don't know, like I, I want 2024 to look decent financially. Whereas like there, there's a, there's a level that, that we want to achieve where it's like, we're going to be more than fine every year. And now it's just a question of like, how, what, what, what's the bigger thing that we're building? Yeah. I, I, I think for me, that last bit that you said, like, what, what, what are we building? I think that has come into question for me. Uh, it's probably directly related to things being hard. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's a natural reaction. Um, but when I think about what I want, I am not nearly as certain as I used to be. If you asked me five years ago, I would say I want to build a happy, healthy company that I really enjoy working at. I really enjoy the people I work with. I enjoy the work that we do and the product that we put out and the money that we make and the money that it makes me personally. Now there's a little bit, the, the, the exit sign is a little brighter. And what I mean by that exit sign is just unplug from the system and, and, and just not not played anymore and not build companies and not own things and not have employees that has become more attractive over the last few years on just, you know what, maybe if I can just put aside like 10 million bucks, maybe I'm done. Maybe I don't want to build anything else. I don't want to hire anyone else. I don't want to work with anyone else. I want to find satisfaction and interest in other things other than offering something of value to the market and requesting uh, money back in exchange for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I that that I mean that leads perfectly into this next question because I, I'm, I'm thinking about a lot about that same thing, like redefining what success looks like. Um, for for me, I'm absolutely going through a, an evolution right now as I look into 2024. But my next question that I wrote down here was, what does our ideal work life look like in 10 years? We can fudge that number. Maybe you call that five years. Maybe you call that 15 years. But Two. <laughs> uh, two, two years. I mean, you know, because lately I've been thinking a lot about the one-year plan. Like yep. what, you know. But um, what you were just saying there about like um, changing what the picture of what's, what you're actually building and, yeah. and why, what you're building toward, my vision of that has changed. I think significantly just in the last two or three months. And in, in some ways, I think it's more like reverting back to where my where my natural view of success is. All right. So in the last couple of years, as I was when I sold all my businesses and I was focusing on zip message, which turned into, into clarity flow, the bet that I was making, the 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 thing that I was going for was the picture of success that I see with a lot of other peers in our industry, which is build a success, a single successful SaaS business, grow a team, get to a point where it's profitable and growing steadily. And, and it's, and, and it's a fantastic asset. It's a great business. It's creatively fulfilling. Like I, I loved the picture of, uh, my friends' businesses who can fly their team of 15 high caliber professional people into a really fun location and having a team retreat um, because because a the, that team exists and b the business exists to support that right you level can just drop of, 50k you can just drop 50k on an, yeah. on an awesome team retreat and people love working for your little SaaS company that yes. just those crazy profits every like that's the dream scenario and that was that was what I had my sights set on in the last probably like five or six years, um, uh, you know, go, I, I was hoping my last SaaS attempts would, one of them would, would result in that. Yep. I think I've come to terms with like that, that picture like just might not happen for me. Um, and uh, I, I still, of course, own Clarity Flow. I'm still going to run it and grow it. And it, you know, I hope it grows into something, but for, but for right now I'm, I'm, um, I'm redefining my picture of success to look more like what, where my gut and intuition tends to point, and it's probably different from most founders in our circles. Like my my mind goes to portfolio of businesses, um, more 
more more creativity, more um, variety, um, but still very much focused on building and creating value and selling things to customers. Like I'm, that's always my interest and in, in owning assets and and um, accumulating assets. Of course, right now I'm not in a position to start to really grow a portfolio. But when I think about like my dream scenario 10 years from now, like like the, the businesses that I've always been um, inspired by and I don't, I, I wouldn't ever dream of reaching this level of success, but like, you know, like, like, like tiny with Andrew Wilkinson or, mm-hmm. um, uh, awesome motive Syed's like, uh, you know, like building this, this kind of portfolio business. Like, again, those are like, uh, beyond like a dream scenario, but like a, a smaller version of that, I, I would be super thrilled to, to be, uh, like own as, as, as a portfolio owner over, over the next decade or so. That, that, um, that sounds like it would, it would satisfy the, all, all these different pieces. So yeah. in, income at its most basic, but also like multiple things, not just one thing. Multiple things, some of them small, some of them bigger, you know, um, getting into acquiring assets, selling assets, uh, building, creating, um, hiring small separate distributed teams to run different assets in my portfolio. I, I like the sound of that. I mean, for right now, it's basically just me and a couple of uh, people that that work on my small team on stuff. But like, um, yeah, you know, like like the concept of a single product, a single company with with a single team that we just lie away for 10 plus years, like that is just probably not the trajectory that I'm on anymore, you know, and <laughs> I think it's, it. I think it's tough to tell. You, you, yeah. you, you don't know. You just, it's just not, it's not a direct path from where you are right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, uh, here's maybe a more fun one. Okay. Uh, what it, what's been our favorite cheat code in business? And I just want to clarify, I feel like every person has some cheat code or what they think of as their, their go-to advantage key advantage or or thing but thing that that you decided to do that has helped you succeed in some way okay i, I got th- two okay um i think what i mentioned before is an important cheat code to to be okay with not being great at everything and leaning into the stuff that you're good at and not feeling bad about all the other stuff i think that that is helpful for everyone to get to um, it also makes your life more enjoyable, focusing on what you're good at. <laughs> it yeah. make, makes you happier. Yep. Yep. Um, I got one and, and it's, uh, this podcast and podcasting in general, I think okay. it's, um, people who podcast for this many years, I think there's different types of podcasts out there and stuff, but like, I don't know about how, how you feel about it for, for me, it's, it's never been we we don't even have a very large audience on bootstrapped web mm-hmm. right um it's pretty small rel- relatively speaking i haven't even checked the numbers in probably well over a year <laughs> uh, but um but the uh the thing is, the thing that this does uh and it's happened year after year for me is network effects i'm i'm out there and uh a small relatively small group of influential people tend to know who we are because we do this podcast. Um, and that makes it easier to DM someone, um, or get an introduction or get invited to speak at a conference or, uh, or hire people or, um, or, or sell a business or, uh, you know, this or that, like just little different opportunities come about because we've been out here building in public, uh, for, for this many years. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not like a marketing channel that's going to, if you podcast X number of episodes, you're going to get this many leads. Like it's never that. And, and also podcasting is probably the worst way to actually grow an audience. It's it's not like a discovery platform, you know? Um, yeah. but, but it's least like, you should, you should link to your podcast from time to time and talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I forget yeah. <laughs> but you know, I'm sure you get this. I get this all the time where it's like, I, I hop on a call with someone for the first time and they're like, I, I feel like I know everything about you, but I know nothing about them because they've been listening to the podcast. Yes. I never felt it until you and I started. And then I went to microconf after <laughs> we started and I was like, oh, okay, it is a very different dynamic 
in a networking environment when someone comes up to you and says, I listen to your podcast. Like yeah. that is a very, very, it's a cheat code. It is a weird factor that's thrown into the mix that makes things easier. Right. If that's the definition sure. of a cheat code. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like forgot that we do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if, if I think back, there was a point in time when I was leaving the family business, I, I didn't know how to get in. I didn't know how to break into this world of people that I looked at and admired and listened to their podcasts. It was, it was Mixergy then. And too, that, that was one of the first ones. Right. We've talked about how we first met through that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think you're right that getting uncomfortable and reaching out and networking and then starting to like publish and starting to get out there is, is a real cheat code. I have backed away from it. Um, I think that's right for me right yeah. now. Uh, but to get started there, it's tough to beat as a cheat code. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like a, it's a, a beacon of light that I think attracts it, I, the right people to you. I, I wrote it down because, and these are not like recommendations to other people. Like <laughs> if you're not a podcaster, don't do a podcast. Like if, if, it, if it's not natural for you, if you don't want to do it, then don't do it. But the, but, um, I think it's the kind of thing that like, it's hard to explain the benefits until you sort of experience them over over a long period of time you know um the other thing that i wrote down is conferences and then i but more specifically tiny conferences but what i mean here is first of all just conferences in general like larger ones um that's where i started to make friends in this industry microconf was was a big one um for me even locally also i started to, to meet some friends like at, at meetups um early on in my career and for the first like four or five years, I never left my house and never met anyone in person and not many interesting things happened in my business. Uh, but it wasn't until I started to meet people in person, go to conferences, develop those relationships that more interesting things started to happen in my career. Um, and then, and then through those relationships, people that I met at microconf and, um, and those sorts of places, we got together and, started go, doing big snow, tiny comp ski skiing and snowboarding, 12 people in an Airbnb. We've been doing it for, uh, I think over 10 years now. We, and we do a couple of these trips every year. So the like business founder friend retreats. Um, and then you develop these long-term advisor relationships. So, so those tiny conferences in themselves are incredible. It's the, the thing that I look forward to all, all year long, but it's, at this point now, years into doing that and developing these high caliber, deep, long-standing relationships, these are go-to advisors. And for someone like me, who's a solo founder, literally just yesterday, um, well, first of all, like I, I DM'd you and we hopped on a call. You, you were helping me out with a, with a big business problem that's on my plate this week. I did the same thing with two or three other friends this week um, because we go back. And I really, really trust their opinions and, um, and like having this network of friends and advisors is absolutely gold. Um, and the only way you do that is to get out there and just meet people, you know, look short of moving to a city and creating a network in, in a city, in a physical environment, the, the, uh, the trade-off there is that for, for us right now in this stage of life, that is not what we're going to do. I'm yeah. not moving to New York. I'm not moving to San Francisco. I'm moving to Austin. I'm not doing that for my network. I'm, my family is the d determining factor on where I live. Mm -hmm. uh, but that means you have to get out there in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Um, the other cheat code, more specific, uh, I every time I have started a business that directly impacts revenue, I've had an easier time than than when I have not. Mm. That has been- like Closer uh, to the to the dollar. Closer to the money, that's right. Yep. Like the, the family business, that thing worked really well because we represented homeowners to lower their property taxes. And it was literally a piece of mail you sent out that was like, I will save you money on your property taxes. If I don't succeed, don't pay me anything. Yeah. And that is really close to Carthook's original pitch. Add this to your abandoned card emails. If you don't recover money from it, you don't pay. If you do, then pay me a percentage. It's like yep. really right there. Yeah. We're next week. We are launching Clarity Flow Commerce, and it's my first. And th this was 
we, we've been building toward this for the past year, and this was part of the, the calculus in niching down and building this platform for coaches was like, we're going to eventually get to giving coaches the ability to sell their coaching services and sell their packages through our platform. That makes us like an essential tool in their stack. So it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this, uh, how this plays out for Clarity Flow. So it, I, I think looking back on all my products and things, it's the first time that we are really right there in there in, in the, in the way that they sell their, their stuff. So, yep. Yep. Um, yeah, the only other, the, the last one that I had here, and I, I didn't even like prepare anything for this one, was um, what are we most surprised about where we are today? Like if you, it, if, if young Jordan were to look at what you're doing, it, what are you doing talking on this podcast? Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. I, if I'm being honest, I think I made one mistake after another in my career. Just one after the other, after the other. That is my. Do honest. you think you're all right? So, so Jordan in college, or you know that age, or whatever, is looking at you today. Like, do you think you'd be? Um, I don't know. Like, 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 like impressed with with what you what you got going on. I, I think I'd be pretty pretty damn impressed with with how I'm living over here. And I and 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 I say that sitting here like not even close to being satisfied with okay. <laughs> with okay, what's fair. going on. But I think a young me would have been like. Damn, that is awesome. I think I would be very disappointed. And that speaks directly to the lack of wisdom of 18-year-old me. Mm. And look, I, I don't really blame myself. I came from a challenging environment and we were immigrants and we had no money. And that kind of stuck itself into my mindset. And I remember back being you know, 10, 11 years old, walking into someone's house and being like, this is nicer than my house, and I want this. Mm -hmm. So it started pretty early for me, and it never left. And because of that, I have overemphasized going after money. And it has not. It has led to two things at the same time. Not following my passion and not ending up with more money. <laughs> you know? So that I think that's why I look back and I see a, a trail of mistakes. Because I think... I would have been better off not going after money. I think it would have led me to things that I'm more interested in that I would have been better at and I would have made more money from it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many things about my life that that are just I never would have expected. Like um so like 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 we grew up uh sort of like like middle class uh, living in Long Island, New York. Actually, you and I <laughs> lived uh not very far from not each far other. At all. We like na almost neighboring towns. Um and I would say, I, you know, like, and I now live in Connecticut, which is not far from New York, but like the cost wise of living, it's like so much, you, you get so much more space, more house, uh, more space in between the houses in the, in the neighborhood here. It's a totally different game um, from growing up in New York. And so like the, the place I live in is so much bigger, the, so the area, nice. it's, so, it's so much nicer. It's like. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, I have a Tesla. Like it's, like, yeah, like, I hear you. Uh, you know, like, and and I'm sitting here in my sweatpants in my own home office. This is where I've worked for the last 15 years. Yeah, yeah. you beautiful I mean, wife, you beautiful kids, this beautiful yeah. house. I, I hear you. Two like, girls. Like is... I never would have. I I figured at some point I would have a family, but I just I don't know. Like it it it's like, I a young me would have not been. What I when I was that age, I was thinking like. I want to live in New York City. I want to be making enough money to get courtside seats to the Knicks right, right. and, oh, and have right. some like baller apartment in the city. Like, yes, yeah. um, but here I am in the suburbs and I, and I love it. You know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. No, look, I, I, like you, grew up in Long Island and then went to Connecticut and lived, lived there. And going from Long Island to Connecticut, that's making it. It is an improvement yeah. in your surroundings, in the stress level. That's my take on it. I, I don't want to hate on Long Island, but that that's that's my opinion. I would love to hate on Long Island. I think it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I love the people. I love the people, but I I think it's the worst it, value in in all of America. It to was live set there. up for failure. It was <laughs> not their fault. It was a bunch of beautiful farmland, and they tried to get too many people into too small of a place to give the the w the, the World War Two GIs a place to live, and it it made it just too crowded, too stressful, too crazy. Love the people, but it's like too expensive, too crowded. What are you doing there? Go yeah, somewhere yeah. else. It's, it's, 
I, I, I hear you. And I have a lot of friends from high school who ended, ended up in Long Island and I'm like Me the too. only one that didn't go there. And I'm like, guys, I, I don't think I'm wrong. I think you're wrong. <laughs> Me too, man. Same story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, when, when I have the wisdom to be a little more rational, I get, I get the moments, you know, I, I, get out of my Audi Q7. Sorry for a sec. <laughs> and I, I, I park in this beautiful neighborhood and I walk up to my house and it's nighttime and, and like all the, the nice landscaping lights are on and I see my wife and kids inside and I get, I get that satisfaction of shit, man. I made it. M- maybe I can complain and I want more and all this other stuff. But there is that element of uh, we, have, we have a lot to be proud of and feel good about. For sure. And, and but, hold on, I just want to finish this yeah, part. Yeah, this, yeah, is what yeah. I, this is what I talk about with my, with my brothers the most. No one has paid me that I, money that I didn't create for a mm-hmm. very long time. And that is something to be extremely proud of. It is really difficult to do to live outside the normal range of having a job and getting paid by a company is is a monumental task. It is, I, I don't, I'm not saying this to give myself credit. It's everyone out there. It's like 95% of the people listening to this. It is something to be so proud of. Absolutely. Society, you know, thank God we live in this country that makes it easier, but it's still not easy. I mean, the thing, the, the thing with being unemployable is like, it, it's, it's like a blessing and a curse, right? Like, um, uh, but you're I, alive, man. You're alive. It's it, yeah. It's it's like the best thing ever, and it's the and it's the most stressful thing. Like I was just talking about how lucky I feel to be sitting here and doing this, and a young me would be crazy impressed with my life, mm-hmm. and I sit here like frustrated as hell that I'm not where I want to be, and I have so much more that I want to accomplish, and yeah, uh, not satisfied. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know what? Like it's it, it's still and. And the ability to, as, as hard as it is, even just day to day, but the ability to say like, I need to earn an income. How am I going to put together an income and then go do it? And like, that's something I'm doing right now. Like literally like getting the first dollars in the door for a new business. It's like, that's what we do. We go, we go make it, you know? Um, yeah. And then that turns into our, our tribe, our, our people are the other cowboys who want to go out and, and, you know, hunt and kill what they eat damn dude i'm fired up all right it's friday (laughs) let's do it let's have a great weekend i am i'm off for a few weeks so happy holidays merry christmas happy hanukkah happy new year all the celebration thanks everyone for listening for another year with us holy yes oh man (laughs) all right we'll we'll uh we'll see you in 2024 later folks